0: as alaikum, friends, and welcome to A Muslim Mum Podcast. The Prophet wasallam said, How wonderful is the situation of the believer, for all his efforts are good. If something good happens to him, he gives thanks for it, and that is good for him. If something bad happens to him, he bears it with patience, and that is good for him. Narrated by Muslim. So I'm sure you can guess why I've begun the podcast with that hadith and it really is to have a perspective on what's going on at the moment with the coronavirus. Now there's two questions that I want to answer and, and explore today. Firstly is why why um, why is why has the world and, and the societies reacted in the way they have towards coronavirus? In particular why have some people looked at this problem and thought I'm going to how can I make some money out of this that that's one way that people looking at it and another one is that uh, people have gone out and en masse gone out and bought things and stocked their shelves up with items that they actually don't need it's not perishable food it's not food that they've stocked up with it's it's like a security that they've they've got they felt they need I have to go and hoard stuff you know, that's globally, Muslim and non Muslim. And the second question is as Muslims, then how should we be looking, how do we react to this fear and anxiety which we naturally feel? How should we react to it? So, with the second question, there's um, I've taken a um, section from a webinar that was done by Sarah Sultan, she's part of Yukian Institute. And in that, she gives some excellent advice about how to view the anxiety we feel and how do we deal with it. And she gives advice and an Islamic perspective on that. So what I'm going to then do first is look at um, how, why is it our society is so consumed by we, a solution to problems is we buy stuff. Yeah, because that, that is basically what's going on. So consumerism, according to its textbook definition, is the human desire to own and obtain products and goods in excess of one's basic needs. Basic needs typically referring to having sufficient food, clothing and shelter. And what we can see, consumerism is a social and economic order that encourages an acquisition of goods and services in an ever-increasing amount. So if we just look at, you know, prior to the pandemic, consumerism, we, we can all admit we live in a very consumer-orientated society and that we are encouraged to buy more than we need, where, you know, think of the amount of food wastage that happens, think of the amount of clothes that we buy that we don't then wear. So why is it that, you know, progressive, you know, industrialized societies are like this? And then we can even say, that, you know, the elites... And the rich middle classes in third world countries, they then aspire to do the same thing. So if we go back in time a bit and look at the industrial revolution that happened in the 20th century, we can see that mass production led to overproduction. So think of, you know, Victorian times where you now had factories and you had people leaving the country um, leaving the countryside and coming to work in these factories whether it's to make cloth um, etc everything could now be produced but there could be mass production and so obviously there was going to be overproduction so the supply of goods would grow beyond consumer demand and what you had was so manufacturers then turned to marketing and advertising to manipulate consumer spending you had to you know uh you know really use manipulation to get people to think they needed things when prior to that they didn't. now Veblen who was an American economist and um who during his lifetime emerged as a well-known critic of capitalism he wrote a well-known book called the theory of Le- the leisure class and this was in 1899. Now Veblen coined the concept of conspicuous consumption and conspicuous leisure. He wrote in his book on the new leisure class. So this is the, you know, the kind of upper middle class which developed, um, he observed that view um, the activities and spending habits of this leisure class in terms of cons- conspicuousness and vicarious consumption and waste, both are related to the display of status and not to functionality or usefulness. So people were now buying things for show yeah that's um that is what he's saying and there was a lot of waste and it was to show people that look i have this disposable money and these are the things i can buy now paul james in um, in his book globalization and culture which he wrote in 2010 he observed the pursuit of the good life through practices of what is known as consumerism has become one of the dominant global social forces cutting across differences of religion, class, gender, ethnicity, and nationality. It is the other side of the dominant ideology of market globalism. So there are many other books written on this, but I just included these two two, um, quotes from these experts because they were just observing that our societies have it. There exists now this idea that you should consume, and it's. I thought it was very interesting. Cuts across differences of religion. So this is Christian, Muslim, Hindu, and all genders, and you know, and all ethnicities are have bought into this. That there does seem to now be this link um, between when we consume that is what will create happiness. Now, you know, this is the idea of happiness. What is happiness? This has been debated by early liberals, you know, such as Jeremy Bentham, who argued that it was intrinsically linked, happiness was intrinsically linked to utility or the benefit one achieved in a material good. Bentham said that utility is described as that property in any object whereby it tends to produce benefit, advantage, pleasure, good, or happiness, or to prevent the happening of mischief, pain, evil, or unhappiness to the party whose interest is considered. You can, again, definitely Google Bentham to, to find out, you know, if you want more information about him. But he, he had a big effect. His ideas were adopted by society. Um, he argued that the consequences of actions was the only way to define good. Nature has placed mankind under the governance of two sovereign masters, pain and pleasure. That's his words. In other words, the pleasure you are likely to receive from an action is the only consideration you can have when undertaking an action. So, you know, this is because, and this is because, you know, humans are pleasure seeking beings so he he was saying that you know you should there's nothing wrong with that you should want to gain pleasure from things that will give you happiness so it you know it's then no wonder that as time has gone by people when as you know as we're living in an increasingly secular society and religion is being kind of you know bled out of society it's being pushed to the edges you know ideas such as um, you know doing good for others or having patience or you know um, what's the word that you uh, delay your gratification why would someone want to delay their gratification when what reason have they got to do that there's no you know transcendent transcendent reason to do that there's no religious reason for doing that so you will think okay i whatever will make me happy and whatever goods and items and experiences i can have that will make me feel happy i'm going to do them yeah that that that's the kind of mentality we can see that exists now on top of this then what happened was so you had this idea that okay things will bring pleasure and you you should want to get pleasure now then in the nineteen seventies and nineteen eighties the US and the UK government and we can also say this in Europe to an extent deregulated the financial sector. And so what I mean by that is from this point banks were no longer shackled by overregulation and laws that prevented them from lending large amounts of money to people. So you now had the your your average person now could they had could get credit cards very easily so they could buy things on credit that's what I mean by the um, laws regarding how much you know regulating where how much credit you could have and whether you could take out loans that it was made so much easier for people to do that so now you had armed with our credit cards and then with the boom in supermarkets and shopping you know in department stores and malls you know this all happened in the 80s um people could then buy as much as they wanted yeah consumption you know it was a natural outcome of economic liberalism and bentham's ideas and his ideas are called titled utilitarianism so people could were then thinking i'm giving a very quick overview of this but it's, um, you know, it. you could buy your way to happiness. And this idea of retail therapy that we now, you know, you think, oh, I'm, I'm feeling a bit down, so I'll go to the shops and just buy stuff. And what we now do is we just go online and just buy stuff and think, yeah, that'll make me happy. So retail therapy, that word, um, it was, um, the first reference was in the Chicago Tribune of Christmas Eve 1986, where it said, we've become a nation measuring our lives in shopping bags and nursing our psychic ills through retail therapy. And I think we can, we know we've all done that, but this is just giving you an idea why we do this, how we got to this point. Now, there's um, a researcher called um, Céline Atalay and Margaret Melloy found that 62% of shoppers had purchased something to cheer themselves up and another 28% had purchased as a form of celebration. This was in the retail therapy research that was done. And if we look at in 2000, I'm going to give some more statistics now. In 2001, the European Union conducted a study finding that 33% of shoppers surveyed had a high level of addiction to rash or unnecessary consumption. Yeah? Yeah a 2013 say, survey of 1000 american adults found the practice being more com- common among women that's 63.9% of women and 39.8% of men you know so you know the idea of shopping you know to, to make you happy and it continues. Women were most likely to buy clothing, while men were most likely to buy food. With relief from anxiety being the most common reason for retail therapy. And just, I'm just going to give two more stats. In 2019, in the UK, um, we owed an average of 15,385 pounds to credit card firms, banks, and other lenders according to the TUC per household, including, include, excluding, sorry, mortgage debt. And in total, we are £428 billion in debt in Britain. Okay, so that's quite, that was like quite a quick uh, rundown of um, what, how consumerism has become the norm and really how consume, it's how we a lot of us now think and our society encourages us to think that if you go out and buy, buy, buying stuff will make you happy. Okay. So that got me then thinking that when people are feeling scared and they're feeling anxiety and they're fearful, what, what are people naturally going to then t- if that's where you think under normal circumstances, you're then going to think, okay, I'm going to go out and buy stuff. And again, I'm not saying just going out and buying one bottle of milk, but you know, some eggs and potatoes. We've seen the pictures. You know, people have have. It's like they went gone went a bit crazy, and because if you're if if you're not grounded in any way to if you haven't got religion, you haven't got God, you haven't got any. Um, you know the government isn't giving you any advice that it's given financial advice now you know there's certain things it's doing and it's also given lots of medical advice which we should follow but it hasn't you know maybe I'm thinking the word it's giving no spiritual advice nothing to calm your heart nothing to give you any kind of tranquility and that is inevitable when you remove religion out of life when you become so secular as our societies have and so the when we see these pictures we shouldn't just think oh they're, st- they're just stupid people or they're just a minority or sometimes people can say oh that's just a particular ethnic group or they're not educated that's why they're behaving like that no we need to understand this this reaction is because of the values and the ideas that we are now being taught and a lot of us including me have adopted and so then we react in this way and the thing is that what we we first have to understand that this is those ideas being a consumer like a blind consumer is not what we should do islam doesn't prevent say we can't buy stuff that's for another discussion but that no one's saying you don't buy but this um unthinking you know this idea um consumerism and it's rampant um and a kind of an out of control so when people are scared the out of control bit gets even more out of control and so and it really is a shame that um we uh, at our leaders you know so in our governments there's no um advice on how to like there's general that we need to help each other but you need to understand why like when we're looking we, we have our hadith, so the hadith that I mentioned right at the beginning about how wonderful is the situation of the believer, for all his affairs are good. If something good happens to him, so when we have plenty, we give thanks. But if something bad happens, so we're in a bad situation, he bear we bear it with patience and we think this is a test. I'm gonna then refer back to Hadith, I'm gonna get advice from the Prophet, I'm gonna read Quran to get find a way to uh, a solution to this problem that that's the way that we need to look at this you're now going to hear the excellent advice from saw sultan from yakin institute and um, it's just i feel i found it so helpful that i really wanted to share this with you
1: um, my name is Sara Sultan. I'm a fellow with the Yaqeen Institute and a licensed mental health counselor and professional counselor Alhamdulillah. Uh, so Jazakum Al Khairan uh, Sheikh Ahmad for the, the wonderful tips. Um, there were a couple that really resonated with me, mashallah, and so I wanted to uh, delve into them even a little bit uh, a little bit more. Inshallah, so one of them that really resonated was this idea of the reliance on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that we already all do on a daily basis, right? The idea of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala being the almighty, being the creator, being the most powerful, being our protector, right? And the idea that he's the one who created the coronavirus that we're all talking about and that everybody's really concerned about, but in that understanding, we also realize that he's more powerful than it. And knowing that on a daily basis, we're already relying on wa Taala every single day, every moment of the day, every breath that we take in and we notice that the air actually accesses our lungs, um, every time our heart beats, right? At any time we are doing anything in our daily lives, it is a reminder of the power of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, and it's a reminder of our dependence and reliance on Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, in knowing that our health is always in His hands, right? And knowing that on a small level on a daily basis, when we might not always think about it, but in a time like this, when we're all worried about our health, it's a really intense reminder of that. And it reminds me of the ayah where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reminds us, he says, who has fed them, saving them from hunger and made them safe, saving them from fear, right? And so even if we're feeling fearful at this point, it's a reminder that even in these difficult moments and in the easy moments, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one who's saving us from all of these hardships on a daily basis, Um, And the other thing uh, that Sheikh had mentioned, which I thought was really, uh, that really resonated with me, was the idea that life is always in flux, right? That life is constantly changing, that there's a certain degree of uncertainty that our lives are filled with. But we tend to have this idea that our lives are very predictable, because in our experience, they have been, Right? On most days, if you're like an average person, you're either waking up and, you know, eating breakfast and going to school or going to work, you know, driving the same route, seeing the same people and things like that. You have a routine and that gives us the idea and the misconception that life is predictable. And when something like this happens, where suddenly everything is changing in just in just a couple of weeks right, or even less. You know, when you go to the grocery store and all the racks are like cleaned out of fresh produce and meat, when your kid's school has been canceled, like my kid's school has been canceled and you're trying to, to navigate that, right? Um, when you hear news reports that can be really scary, suddenly the immunity we thought we had to unpredictability, this is, this is just like a huge reminder, like a huge dose of uncertainty. You know, in reality, I had heard a talk by um, Dr. Shafali Sabari. Um, she's a really well-known psychologist. And one of the things she said was two days ago, we didn't know if we'd be alive right now, right? We didn't know, we assumed, but we didn't know. And so we're always living with uncertainty, but we just tend to deny that uncertainty. And so now we have this heavy dose of it. And so how do we use that dose of uncertainty for the purposes of growth? One of the things that um, Najwa and I often do, we're both therapists, right? So one of the things that we often do with our clients is that we try to teach them a skill called distress tolerance, right? Which is basically that whenever we're uncomfortable with something, we all have a human tendency to try and avoid that discomfort, to push it away, to deny it, to avoid it in whatever way we can, right? And everything that's happening with the coronavirus brings so much discomfort to the forefront for us. And one of the blessings that we have is that we have this huge like, surge of an opportunity to sit with discomfort, to learn how to deal with distress and to learn how to accept the reality of a situation and what's outside of our control, while also focusing in on working on what is within our control. So it's a really powerful opportunity if we can view it in that way, inshallah. I think one of the other powerful things that happens when something major occurs in our lives, um, whether it's something traumatic or whether it's something like what's happening right now with everything happening with the coronavirus and our worries about it, is that it really helps us to shift gears into focusing in on the big picture in our lives, focusing in on what we truly believe to be important. The things that we suddenly realize that we're willing to forego for the sake of health and safety, those are the things that are truly important to us. And so suddenly we realize that a lot of the other things that we had been prioritizing, maybe they aren't as much of a priority as we once thought they were right. And focusing in on that and using that and taking it into our daily lives once inshallah things get back to normal. Um, The other thing I wanted to mention also is that if you are feeling nervous, if you're feeling fearful, if you're feeling overwhelmed with everything that's, that's going on, I and mean, if it's bringing up a lot of anxiety, then just realize that that is really normal for that to be happening. Um, it's when, when so much of our lives change very suddenly, it is very normal to have a level of anxiety. And so have a little bit of self-compassion where you're telling yourself, like, of course, I'm feeling a little bit anxious. Who wouldn't feel a little bit anxious in a situation like this, right? It doesn't mean that you're not relying on a less path data. It just means that change is hard. And that's a very normal thing. And to kind of elaborate on that point and why that might be happening for you and for a lot of us, um, and why that might look different in different people um, is the idea of like the fight flight or freeze mode that we tend to get into when we are in a difficult situation. So some anxiety is a very normal thing and it can actually be a really big protective factor. Anxiety is um, an emotion that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala created within us. And so it exists for a reason. And one of the Really amazing functions of it is that it can be very protective. It um, it's what gets us to look both ways before we cross the street. It's what gets us to not touch a hot stove, right? It helps us to make smart decisions at moments when we need to be cautious. What happens sometimes is that it kind of gets a little bit overactivated and the survival part of our brains get a little bit too energetic and what happens in those moments is that the front parts of our brains which are responsible for healthy decision making, good judgment calls, they don't function as strongly because they're sur- we're kind of in survival mode and so you know when we see people fighting over a roll of paper towels in the grocery store, that's the survival part of their brain that's coming up rather than the, you know, rather than the the healthy judgment decision-making part of their brain, their survival mode is in overdrive. And the reason why it gets into overdrive is because of the what ifs, you know, if we stop and think for a moment about whether our lives will be so different if we you know have this one paper towel roll um, from the grocery store or whether it wouldn't then most of us would stop and make the decision that yeah it's not going to impact my life tremendously right but it's the what ifs that keep our minds going toward anxiety and the Prophet Muhammad he told us he encouraged us he said that in situations say Allah did that which he ordained to do and your if opens the gate for shaitan, right? So if, when we open the door for ifs, that's how our anxiety are, like arises, and it gets it gets a little bit out of control, and then the decisions that we're making aren't ones that we'll look back on in the best possible way, right? So if we know this, then how do we try to get out of survival mode and reinvigorate that front part of our brains that's gonna help us make some better decisions. And so that we can try and deal with this situation and the anxiety that we're going through in a way that we can look back on with some comfort, inshallah. Um, So uh, Sister Nejwa is gonna go into a lot of detail with regards to that, but I wanted to share a few, um, a a couple of things uh, that she'll then elaborate on with some really practical tips, inshallah. Um, but one of the main ways that we utilize in, in, um, in therapy, when somebody's really anxious is a technique called grounding, right? And, um, Sheikh Omar actually alluded to it when he was talking about that and that being like this firm tying to Allah's ta'ala and like a grounding technique in a lot of ways. So what grounding is, is that it is a technique that helps you to calm your body, Right. And when you can calm your body, then it sends a signal to your brain that you are safe and it is okay to be calm and shut down that fight, flight, or freeze survival mode. Um, And when you use this, right, when you try and calm your body, then you're focusing in on the what is, right? You're focusing in on the present moment rather than on the what ifs that shaitan then uses to get us off track. And i i often think about the um hadith of the prophet Muhammad when i think about grounding where when he was in any type of difficult time he used to turn to bilal and he used to say um, he used to ask bilal to give the adhan and he would say oh bilal give us rest with it right where he would know that salah prayer could be that act of engaging in prayer could be a way of grounding himself and calming and connecting with Allah Subh'anaHu Wa in a really powerful way. And the actual act of salah, because it uses our bodies, and we're using movement, and we're actually, you know, when we're in sujood, we're touching the ground, right, literally grounding, that actually can be a really helpful uh, way to, to calm ourselves and to calm our minds. Um, other ways could be to hug somebody that you really care about and to really feel that hug, um, or focusing in on one of your five senses. Uh, to really uh, focus in on the present moment. Um, and then also deep breathing. Deep breathing is, um, is a very common one and very, very helpful. Um, so the other part of it too, when we're thinking about grounding and focusing in on the present moment is focusing in on the feeling of safety that you can experience right now instead of going down the what ifs, right? So asking yourself, am I okay right now? do I have enough right now? Do I have enough food? Do I have enough toilet paper, right? Like everybody's so worried about. Um, Do I have enough of that right now? And for, for, I'm addressing the majority of us, even though I know that there are a lot of people who actually can't answer yes to that, right? But in the majority of who we're talking to right now, the answer would typically be yes, right? Now, just because everybody else is reacting in fear, it doesn't mean that we have to react in fear. And it can actually feel very empowering to shift your focus. So instead of just um, you know, feeling that fear and going with it, instead allowing yourself to feel that fear, but still move forward, right? Do something, consciously make a decision and a choice that goes against your fears, right? Not in a reckless way, But doing something movement-oriented or action-oriented can be really powerful and healing. So enjoying a walk in nature, journaling, verbalizing the things that you're worried about, because a lot of times the thoughts that we have going in our minds can be a lot scarier if they stay up there rather than if we say them out loud. They lose a lot of their power when you say them out loud. So I want to end with a couple of points about how we can shift our mindset as we are going through all of this. Um, and a lot of this is really uh, applicable in any hardship that we go through, you know, everything that's happened with the coronavirus is a test from Allah in the same way that we experienced so many other tests, right? And. Remembering the reward associated with tests where the Prophet Muhammad wasallam says that there's no fatigue, nor disease, nor sorrow, nor sadness, nor hurt, nor distress that befalls a Muslim, even if it were the prick he receives from a thorn, but that Allah expiates, takes away some of his sins for that. Right, so everything that we're going through with the with this, you know, with uh, quarantine, with things being canceled, with um, the disappointment, the disappointment we might be facing about some things being canceled, all of that is an expiation of our sins, right? The other thing is strength, right? That Allah Subhanahu wa Taala gives us capabilities that we need in order to get through difficulties, right? Human beings are incredibly adaptable. And it's one of, the, one of the mercies that Allah has given us. So when, we, when we're in difficult situations, the qualities that come up in difficulties are things to be treasured, right? Because if we hadn't experienced this difficulty, we may never have known that we had these qualities to begin with. So things like flexibility, right? Being able to be flexible in, the t- in a time of a, a lot of change, that's a huge skill that if we can hone it now and treasure it now we can use it later. right? The other way is to view this as I know it sounds a little bit corny as i say it, but to view this as an opportunity that there are certain things, you know, like for for me for example, my my kids are off from school for 2 weeks, right? So a question that i asked myself was, you know, what are things that i can do because they're off for two weeks, that I wouldn't have otherwise been able to have the opportunity to do, right? So spending time with family, trying out new recipes with your kids, things like that. Um, what Sheikh Omar was mentioning about the Qur'an, like, imagine how amazing it would be if this test of that we're going through with the coronavirus was a way to start a routine of reading daily Qur'an that we wouldn't have otherwise been able to implement because our lives would have just gone on as normal, right? So it it could be a really powerful opportunity. Um, gratitude, searching for, you know, training our brains to search for the things that we have rather than the things that we lack. If we can do it now, then it's going to be a lot easier to do once inshallah things get back to normal. Um, and one thing also, I think it's really important to just pay attention to the privileges that we have, right? Where the Rasul sallallahu told us to look at those below you and not look at those above you because it's the best way to not belittle the favors of Allah right? So there are, is a lot that we might be going through right now, a lot of us, but knowing that a lot of us are a lot more privileged than other people, that there are some kids whose schools are closed who rely on their schools for one hot meal a day who now no longer have that, right? for people who might be let off of work for a couple of weeks because their employer can't pay them because nobody's frequenting their restaurant, for example. Um, For some of the elderly who their only social interaction where they may have been so lonely and their only social interaction now has been canceled and they have nobody to interact with, right? So everything that we're dealing with right now is a reminder that other people are struggling with even more. Um, And to build on that point, as my, um, as my final couple of points, is the idea that we are in a time where it could be really easy to focus on ourselves and to be consumed with worries about ourselves, but it can be a lot more powerful to alleviate a lot of our anxiety if instead we exercise empathy, right? So when you go to the grocery store and you see that there's only one roll of paper towels left, leave it there for the next person. They might need it more, right? And it's, it really brought to mind the ayat of Allah when he talks about the Day of Judgment and how nobody's going to care about anybody else. And they're going to be running away from one another, not caring, where he says that every man on that day will have enough to make him careless of others, right? It's not that day yet, right? And if we, we're in a position where we can still care about one another, and that's a way that we can really take a great deal from this and alleviate a lot of our anxiety and accept the reality of the situation right the situation is a reality it's not going to change but we can choose how we're going to interpret the situation and channel our energy in a positive direction rather than fighting against the inevitable at this point so alhamdulillah i'm khair for listening